Hello and welcome to the Amplifying Scientific Innovation video podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Onoye Onye, founder and CEO of the Sophia Consulting Firm, a life science marketing and communications consultancy that was established in New York City with the goal of amplifying scientific innovation. The goal of this podcast is to showcase scientific innovation stemming from global life science companies through conversations with senior leaders who share their unique leadership journey, corporate vision, and industry outlook. My guest today is Dr. Del Smith, co-founder and CEO of Aquinate, a trusted digital health company integrating culture and technology to educate and engage diverse individuals to make informed decisions about clinical trial participation. Dell is passionate about using business to make a positive societal impact and has extensive leadership experience in healthcare, IT, higher education, and government. Interestingly, prior to his current role, Dell served as the Dean of the Business School at Alabama A&M University. Dell's experience started and growing tech-related companies follows his inquiry on how minority-owned firms achieve high levels of success, with his research appearing in publications such as the Journal of Business Research, and Journal of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, to name a few. Dell earned his PhD in Management and Management Information System, MIS, from the University of Alabama. I connected with Dell uh, through LinkedIn, which is quite powerful, and I'm just so blown away each day by some of the insights and updates that he shares, and it's just great to see his growth as an entrepreneur, and I, I can't think of a better time for him to do the type of work that he's doing, because obviously, reducing health disparities is a very major thing for not just the season of the podcast, but for my own experiences uh, as a cancer researcher and as a woman of color. Welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you so much, Sophia. I appreciate it. And by the way, the admiration is mutual. I've been looking at what you've been accomplishing and doing, and I'm just excited to know that I'm having the opportunity to engage with you uh, from our initial communication with LinkedIn. And uh, I think together, uh, we're trying to, to change things in a very positive way. Absolutely. And there's so much to do, but it starts with simple steps and dedicated individuals. So super excited to have you on. So. I always start the show the, the same way, uh, which is by asking my guests to define scientific innovation. So it's your turn, Dale. What is your definition of scientific innovation? Uh, since I know there's no absolutely right or wrong answer. Out there. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, for that question, what is scientific innovation? I really focus on this idea of uh, new methods and processes mm -hmm. that yield substantially greater results and outcomes. And to me, that those are key aspects of scientific innovation. And right, the opposite of that being just the status quo, doing things the way they've always been done, but yet expecting different results. And we see mm -hmm. that a lot of times we do things. But when we really look at scientific innovations, it is something, a process that was new that yields a substantially greater outcome. And to me, that's what the definition of a scientific innovation is. I love that. And you're absolutely right. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just a nice way to gauge 
uh, so, such the specifically the diversity of thought that each and every person that comes on this show they have. So I like the evolutionary uh, component of your definition and I like the continuity and, and perhaps what I like most about your definition, it's about sort of having a fresh set of eyes, a fresh lens to maybe go back to the same problems and approach it in a different way. So thank you for that definition. Um, so you've done quite a lot, um, and I'll be curious to know what you consider to be your most impactful professional accomplishment prior to your current role as a CEO of Aclinet Genetics. Um, well, I've been very fortunate to be able to start two other companies prior to Aclinet, and uh, both of those companies had a, a moderate exit uh, in terms of success at the end of that journey. Uh, mm -hmm. I did that Acclinate is going to be the best uh, business that that uh, you know I've helped build, and but but when you when you think about or when I think about professional accomplishments, I think the timing is really significant. So I just stepped down as being dean of the business school at Alabama A&M University. You referenced that. And I spent almost six years. And wow. Interesting enough, I just had a meeting today, uh, this morning, with my leadership team, our final meeting, and they were able to share their thoughts about, you know, the work that we had done in the college and the things that we had done as a team. And so, when you ask that question right now, I don't, I don't think there's anything I'm thinking about other than just uh, spending the last six years working with an exceptional group of professionals, uh, accomplishing some fantastic goals and achievements within the college, doing great work to impact young people's lives. Uh, and and though, that's what I'm thinking about right now. So um, maybe a few years down the road, the answer would be different as it relates to Acclimate. But right now, that's what I would say is my, my best professional accomplishment. That's wonderful. And it ties into the evolutionary aspect of your definition of scientific innovation. I think you see your success as being fairly dynamic and that things are going to evolve over time. So thank you for sharing that. Now, what is the meaning behind the name of your company and what inspired your interest in clinical genetics? I'm extremely curious about this, by the way. Okay, sure. Well, let's start with the name first. And so, you know, from a purely business standpoint, having a name that is uh, a couple of syllables and starts with A and uh, is, is, is memorable is a good thing. And so, you know, we kind of started, mm -hmm. but, but the term acclinate actually has a meaning. Acclinate means an upward slope. So in, mm -hmm. the, in the field of zoology, when we, when we use the word acclinate, it's kind of an upward slope. And I just thought that that's whole, this whole idea of upward slope is like progression. Uh, and so I, I fell in love with the name when the time came and, uh, and that's what we've been going with ever since. To your point about how do we even get into this space, you know, I'll share something very personal with you. So when I was uh, younger, my mom passed away from tuberculosis mm -hmm. and, you know, she took drug after drug after drug to see if it would help cure her, but it did not. And so uh, she passed away. And, and it wasn't until later after I started doing research that I found that from a, uh, a, a genetic standpoint, a pharmacogenomic standpoint, that they could have actually uh, evaluated her gen uh, genotype to determine which of those drugs would have been most effective for her versus just going through this trial and error piece. And I don't know if that would have changed the outcome, Sophia, but that, that really got me interested in this understanding that drugs aren't just a one size fit all for everybody. Yeah, fast forward, when she passed away, I went looking for my biological father because I'd actually never met him before. And through that investigation, I found him. But unfortunately, he had passed away the year before oh, that gosh. of cancer. Wow. But the, the most shocking news, the family on my biological father's side was surprised because one, they didn't know I exist, existed. And two, every single male on that side of the family had passed away from some type of cancer. 
And so here I am all of a sudden with this discovery that there seems to be some type of genetic propensity from uh, my father's side for cancer. And I've got three sons. And so, mm -hmm. so that put me on a path to discovery as well too, just to understand the importance of uh, our, our genetics uh, and the importance of genomics and what that means from a standpoint of our health as well as drugs that we take. Well, thank you for sharing that powerful story. I really um, please accept my very belated condolences on your loss. I, I grew up in, in Nigeria, and by the time I was maybe 18 years old, four of my, my mother's siblings had already passed away. And I think there is this uh, sort of premature death that happens a lot in, in Black and African and African-American communities all over the world because people are not paying an, enough attention to sort of the, the differences between us on a genetic level. So I'm really glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. And it's a beautiful thing when your professional aspirations tie into some of your personal motivations as well. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. If you look at some older pictures of me, you'll notice that I was about 60 pounds heavier. Uh, I didn't eat uh -huh. well, didn't really exercise and take care of myself. And so part of that discovery, Sophia, also was this understanding that I needed to do what I could to ensure that I hopefully was here for a while for my, for my children and yeah. that change in health lifestyles. And yeah. uh, this is part of what we try to do when we're talking to participants and individuals through our Now Included Network as well, too, is to help them be empowered about their health so they can make better health decisions in the process. But I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yes, I'm, I'm, again, <clears throat> I'm super excited to talk about that part as well. Um, but let's discuss your leadership mantra. At what age did you discover the type of leader that you wanted to be? And how has this knowledge shaped your career development? I spent some time in the United States Army right out of high school. Mm -hmm. I had my son at a very young age, again, very personal story. I had my son when I was 17 years old. Wow. Going to college really wasn't an option for me. So I went into the military and it was there in the military that uh, other leaders identified me as having leadership attributes and characteristics even before I recognized them myself. And so I was uh, elevated into leadership roles when I was in the military. And, and that really set the foundation of me understanding that there was something different about the way that I got results and that I interacted with people. And so you asked the question about my leadership mantra, and I mentioned just talking to my leadership team at Alabama A&M, and they understand that I, ha I had this mantra then, which, which goes like this, get results, treat mm -hmm. people right. Mm -hmm. Get results, treat people right. But my team corrected me and they said, we, we think you should change that. They said, mm -hmm. treat people right, and then you get results. And they said that that's the really the way that they see that I've, I've, I've operated. And so I think I'm going to change my mantra now to be just that, right? Treat people right and get results. And that's really what I think my leadership mantra is. I think I agree with you with your team on the order. I think you, you have to treat people right and it shouldn't just be uh, forgetting the results, right? The results are because you treat people right. So I, I like that evolution. Again, you see the theme here. That's why I asked that question about scientific innovation because it carries a theme throughout the conversation. So there you go. Um, so obviously I've mentioned that we're connected on LinkedIn. I see your post and there was one that I saw recently and I was absolutely thrilled when you shared a study that was published in the New England uh, Journal of Medicine, which highlighted that even though Black people make up 13% of the U.S. population, they account for 21% of deaths from COVID-19, but only 3% of enrollees in vaccine trials. So can you provide a top-line overview of what your company is doing to reduce clinical trial disparities? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, 
pretty disheartening when you look at the data and the statistics and the fact that these numbers have been as low as they are when it comes to minority representation in clinical trials for years and that number is not moving. So talking about not getting results, right? And mm -hmm. then innovation and the fact that we really need a different approach to, 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 to do this. And so what we do at Acclinate is we separate education and engagement from recruitment and participation. Mm -hmm. very important because right now the industry is built on a very transactional nature, which is coming to you and saying, Sophia, I need you to take part in a clinical trial. And a lot of times, Sophia, this is the first time that someone's had any type of interaction with the bio industry or with an investigator or a sponsor. And it's like, hmm, you know, you're coming to me right now, asking me to be part of a trial. Human behavior and, and psychology would say that I'm going to be a little mistrustful or, or mm -hmm about that because we haven't established a relationship and I don't know your intentions and your motivations. So by separating education engagement from recruitment and participation, we come to you at this point in time, we say, Sophia, would you like to learn more about health related issues that might impact you and your family? And Sophia, there's gonna be a, a, you know, a myriad of things that you're gonna yeah. be interested in in terms of health. And when we start a dialogue and we interact, and so we do that on our Now Included platform. If you go to mm -hmm. nowincluded.com, that's our front-facing mm -hmm. interface where it's all about engaging with diverse individuals so they can mm -hmm. be empowered and take control of their health. Now, when people come into that network, Sophia, we have the opportunity to build trust with them. So now when there's an opportunity to be presented with a trial that might mm -hmm. match and benefit them or a family member, we're then presenting that to them in terms of a participation. And what we're finding through this system that we've developed in terms of both technology and culture, what we're doing is that we have greater participation rates on the, on the end of that. Because if we go and we present a trial to 700 people that are in our network that we've identified or likely to participate in the trial, those numbers are so much greater than the current model where uh, the sponsors and the site, uh, um, uh, clinical trial sites are going out asking people to yeah. participate. That's what we're doing differently. I think that that's remarkable. And we know the history of, of clinical trials in this country and even in, in Africa, right? So we, we know about the Tuskegee syphilis study. We know about, about the Henrietta Lacks debacle. So you're starting off with people already that don't have much fundamental trust for, for healthcare providers and, and health systems. So I'm very happy about the role that your company is playing in reducing health disparities and the fact that you and your co-founder Tiffany are both African-Americans. And I think that you people like to see people that look like them. And quite honestly, there are not enough people in the industry. There's not enough representation of, of Black people in, in really any level within the life science industry. So I think you've come to disrupt. And I can honestly tell you, if the industry is not ready, it better get ready very soon. <laughs> I, I really love to hear that. We're getting a really favorable response from the industry. Uh, at first, they were scratching their heads about this, but I think they've been able to see the results that we're getting and the way that mm -hmm. we're approaching this. And I'm very, very optimistic that we will see a change in these numbers in a short period of time. Great. So let's talk about challenges. Uh, what unique challenges have you faced as an Af African-American biotech CEO and educator, especially as it relates to fundraising and building strategic partnerships? Yeah. Well, let's talk about the fundraising piece. So this is my first <laughs> time raising yeah. money for yeah. bootstrap entities. And I had heard the stories from minority founders about how challenging it was to go out and raise money. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, in my mind, I was thinking, uh, I'm going to be the exception. I'm going to go right. out there 
present this tremendous need, lay out this really compelling business case, show an ROI in our strategy and the money's gonna come in. And that's not the way it worked. And, and it was very, very obvious, Sophia, in a room where you're presenting to people who do not look like you, and then two, you're talking about a market that they're not really familiar with or comfortable with. When you start talking about engaging minority populations, mm -hmm. you hear a lot of, well, I just don't understand the business model. Or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for whatever reason, we're just going to pass. And, and it left you really wondering it, how much of it was just a, a, a comfort level because mm -hmm. I've seen it before and I had talked to some dialogue, they, they would say someone came in and wrote their business model on the back of a napkin that had yeah. all holes in it, but yet they walked away with $1 million. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, but yet we've got to go in there and there's discussions about, well, how many clients have you signed up and how much revenue do you have coming in? How many participants? And at some point, so we were like, if we had all these things, right, right, you're asking for money. right, right. But with that, with that, the reason that we persevere in this space, we reason you've persevered, and I know others have in this space, is because that has not kept us from moving forward, mm -hmm. and we've been able to get in front of the right investors who care about not only the money but also care about the mission and the impact. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, even though it was harder and it took longer. Um, we are at the table with entities and partners that we, we, we know we want to develop a future relationship with and build a company out with versus somebody who just wants to write a check. So everything happens for a reason. And I, if I had to go back, I wouldn't change uh, the difficulties and the challenges that we experience in the process. That's, I mean, what, what you just said, I think so many people can resonate with you, especially women and, and racial and ethnic minorities. I mean, that data out there that show just how much more difficult it is to have the type of credibility that leads to people signing that $1 million check. Now, let's talk about strategic partnerships. How have you been able to work within academia, with the biotech companies, even with big pharma to sort of uh, keep the mission of your company moving? How is that going? Yeah, it's going pretty well, and you hit on many of the strategic partnerships that we've established. So the historically black colleges and universities have been uh, partnerships that we've uh, been able to leverage, you know, of course, from some, some relationships that I already had uh, in my role as dean, but also from the standpoint of there being a, a very um, educated and rich minority population that really wants to uh, have take control of their health. And, you know, from a, from a biopharma standpoint, you know, I don't want to mention names right now because we're still trying to finalize some, some mm -hmm. agreements, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I, we, we have several biopharmas at the table talking to us, not just about how to sign up as clients, but how mm -hmm. to actually partner to, 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 to make a significant impact. And one of the things that I'm very optimistic about is that all these biopharmers know we're talking to each other and they all are saying right now, they're not trying to be the first to market with a solution. I know. They're, they're saying that the problem is so big and significant that we need to work together. So um, that is really exciting to see. There's almost like a consortium of uh, biopharmas that are in this space as well as CROs who are saying, listen, we know you're working with these individuals. That's okay because we want to be part of the solution. So the partnerships have been going pretty well. That's great. I think one of the more positive elements that have come out from COVID-19 is this sort of increased focus on collaboration. When I first started working for Pfizer, I think that was back in 2008, the industry was much more siloed, right? There wasn't that much uh, collaboration or partnership between within the industry and outside of the industry. So it's good to see that, you know, I think that there's always going to be a lot of reluctance for the big pharma companies to come forward. But the fact that I interest 
interested in even having a dialogue with you is, is definitely a step in the right direction. Great. Uh, so my next question for you, and I like this question because obviously you are an educator and I believe once an educator, always an educator. So what advice might you have for young people who might be interested in a career in science, technology, engineering, and math, also known as STEM? You know, whenever you choose the path um, that has been followed the less, um, clearly you're going to experience some additional challenges, right? I mean, I, you know, not to take anything away from the tried and true professions that a lot of times, uh, particularly within the minority community, we try to, to, to push our young people to, right? The attorneys and um, the business folks, but the STEM discipline is one that can make such an impact and it can be such a rewarding discipline uh, and it can be a, such a reward, rewarding career, but you're not gonna see a lot of people that look like you in the space. No. And as you know, the higher you go and the more you advance, the fewer and the fewer people you do see. And so it's gonna be a little bit of a lonely road, uh, but that's not a sign that you're not doing something right. That's just a sign that you're, you're kind of a trailblazer. And it's unfortunate yes. to think about people going into STEM, young people going to STEM today as being trailblazers, but I think in a sense, it is still very much about uh, a trailblazing type of career path to go into STEM. We cannot have enough people make the choice to go into STEM right now. Our country, our world, uh, our communities, us uh, as African-American people, I think the more people we have going to STEM, the better off we're gonna be. And so uh, kudos to anybody who makes that career choice. No, I couldn't agree with you more. On a very serious note, I decided to become a medicinal chemist. And at each stage of my career, whether it was getting a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a PhD, or even my first job as a Pfizer scientist, I was always a minority of minorities, like just sort of the only person sitting in the room. And I know that that data from the National Science Foundation that says that less than 5% of African-Americans actually have a bachelor's degree in the life sciences. And that's always going to be an indicator of, you know, sort of your interest in STEM. But one of the things I love about your story and your journey is that you've actually shown that it's never too late in your career trajectory to pivot and to think about ways that you can contribute to the STEM field. So I think you've demonstrated that quite nicely. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm not the spring. <laughs> it's never too late to, to no. follow your passion and and, uh, and to pivot. And um, and so I'm, I'm happy to still be around to be able to do that. And, and I'm optimistic that we're going to have some great things to happen from it. Great. So my second to last question for you is one that I'm curious, actually, once again, to know what your response will be. So aside from your company, are there any other technologies or companies that excite you from an innovation perspective? Yeah, I'll speak to specifically some companies that are out there. Um, you mentioned about Africa, and, and I'm sure you're probably aware of a company called 54Gene. Yes, yes. It's that is uh, doing some amazing things in Africa when it comes to really um, uh, studying the genetics that exist and the information, rich information that exists within uh, the genetic profile of, uh, of folks in Africa. And, um, and so to look at what they're doing is really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a company, DrugView, uh, that mm -hmm. I- Yes. Okay, you, you probably know about DrugView as well too, and DrugView is doing some very innovative things when it comes to really trying to understand this connection between um, the drugs that exist in the marketplace and, and their efficacy within uh, particular minority groups. So that's very interesting. And then I just think overall, this whole movement towards 
decentralized clinical trials is one that I think when we look back on it, it's going to create tremendous innovation for us. We're just now getting comfortable with this idea. Uh, and, and of course, telemedicine and the pandemic has, has sparked much of this discussion. But I think the days of going physically to a site to, to take part in a trial, uh, I think those days are going to be limited and we're gonna definitely be making more use of technology and, and decentralized trials. Yeah, those are some great uh, examples. So Abasi, the CEO of 54Gene, and Kwaku, who is the CEO of DrugView, those are individuals that I'm connected with on LinkedIn, and obviously they've been invited to be a, a part of the podcast as well. And I cannot say enough about decentralized clinical trials. I think if there's any way to get to medically underserved communities, it's really sometimes through the power of our phones and, I, and Apple Watch or whatever the case might be. I think the technologies are getting simpler, they're getting more streamlined and I'm really glad that you brought that up. So, so as we close, I just wanted to make sure that I, I gave you the floor for any other commentary or thoughts that you might have. I just want to say thank you, Sophia. I mean, we put our head down and we're about trying to move forward with our, our business and our business model here. And so when you reached out about this particular opportunity to, to tell our story and talk about what we're doing and be part of a larger conversation with this, um, I think that's really important because uh, just earlier when we had our panel discussion, I was able to make some connections with some, some very significant people that I think yes. we're going to work with. But I just want to say thank you so much in case you don't hear that enough from people. I just want to say thanks. No, I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And, you know, organizations like Inspire, for example, patient communities, patient advocates like Kimberly Richardson, uh, great organizations like Janssen, Pfizer, all these sort of interconnected networks. I, I Thank you so much. In case you don't hear that enough from people, I just want to say thanks. No, I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And, you know, organizations like Inspire, for example, patient communities, patient advocates like Kimberly Richardson, uh, great organizations like Janssen, Pfizer, all these sort of interconnected networks. I, I believe that we have a singular goal, which is around patients. And the irony of that goal is that at some point in our life journey, we're all patients or caregivers or advocates. And to, for us to sort of have a, a not in my back yet approach to, to medicine, to, to the life science industry is definitely the wrong uh, move. So thank you for your appreciation. Um, in many ways, I think I'm just starting and I feel like um, I'm empowered by people like you and I'm encouraged by people like you and I'm proud of the work that you do and I cannot wait to, to hear even more. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll definitely be in touch in the near future. Same here. Take care.